The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever hey guys thanks for hanging in there with us um we have an awesome story tonight it's one that i've known about for a really long time and have just been waiting for the right time to share this story so hopefully you guys all like it but before we get started i wanted to give a shout out to our three newest patreon supporters thank you guys so much Nanisa, Amanda, and Erica, thank you guys so much for your support. You'll have access to special content. Um, and if you guys want to be part of that group with this access, you can become a Patreon member for as little as a dollar a month. I figured you were going to add something. No. <laughs> nope, not right now. I was busy trying to get back into the, <laughs> into the, web, the podcast. All right. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump on in then. This story is called Guilty or Innocent, The Case Against Sarah Jo Pender. In late October 2000, Indianapolis detectives had two bloody bodies on their hands. On October 25th, the bodies of a man and a woman were found in a dumpster in downtown Indianapolis. The bodies were clearly the result of a murder. The man had been shot in the chest and the woman had been shot in both the chest and the head. These bodies were so bad. Like actually one of the detectives said he couldn't even tell what some of the, like the facial features and stuff. Like he couldn't even oh, wow. picture what these people look like that. Like they were shot bad. Wow. Um, they were actually shot with a shotgun with buckshot. So apparently it was pretty, pretty gnarly. Um, but they couldn't even identify them because of, you know, some of the injuries. So they could make out distinctive tattoos, however, and they found out that their victims were 26 year old Trisha Nordman and 25 year old Andrew Cataldi. The two were actually both fugitives from the state of Nevada. They had, I think they were like in some kind of work release or halfway house program and they both took off and left. So they both have active warrants out for their arrests. So how do these two people who are in Nevada and they want to escape their um, confinement together, how do they end up dead in an Indianapolis dumpster? I'm guessing you're going to tell me. Now you're right, I am. First, let's talk about Trisha Nordman. She was born on September 19th, 1974. She was tall, about 5 foot 11 inches, so fairly tall for a woman. Um, she had blonde hair and blue eyes. She was pretty. She had three children, a daughter and two sons. She was known to be a kind and loving person. Her children's father left early in their lives, so she was a single mother, and she really struggled. She struggled with substance abuse and... At one point, she was put in the Nevada Department of Corrections for a forgery charge. While she was in prison, she met Andrew Cataldi. 
He was born on August 19, 1975. He was incarcerated in Nevada for dealing methamphetamine. And that's how they met, and they decided to escape together. In the fall of 2000, Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman had found respite at a friend's home in Indiana. The friend was Richard Hall. He was born and raised in Noblesville, Indiana. He had previously been like the all-star football player for his town. By the year 2000, he was now, though, an ex-con, and he made his living selling methamphetamine. Richard met 22-year-old Sarah Pender at a Fish concert. Do you know that band? Yeah, it's like a punk rock. Or not punk rock, but, oh, God, kind of like Goldfinger and stuff like that back in the day. Okay. Like an alternative band. Okay. So Sarah Jo Pender was born in May of 1979. She had been a good student her entire life. She had no history of criminal behavior or even like disruptive behavior she overall was like kind of a goody two-shoes she had a scholarship to purdue university it must not have been a full scholarship though because after her first year of college sarah actually had to drop out because she couldn't afford her tuition she had been studying physics hoping to have a career in biochemistry instead Ooh, sorry. Instead, Sarah started working for a construction company as their secretary. And before long, she was able to figure out how to read blueprints. And she was working more with the blue, uh, the blueprints at the office and going to school for drafting. Or she was planning to go to school for drafting. So this is a very, very intelligent young woman. Her life seemed to be moving in the right direction until she met Richard Hall in July of 2000. In the summer of 2000, Sarah and Richard began a whirlwind romance. They began to live together, but soon Sarah realized that Richard had some bad habits that made her a little bit uncomfortable. He was selling drugs out of their house, and when I say their house, it was actually Sarah's house. She was the one who rented it. She's the one who, she's, is the one who had the job. He did not have a job. She had the money. She had the credit. So she was, and she wasn't an ex-con. So it was actually her house. She was absolutely in love. So she ignored some of these red flags. Like for one thing, he's selling meth. She just kind of decided to ignore that. That's one of those red flags though that I don't think I could that's a pretty big turn, red flag. Turn a blind eye to. Right? Um, and pretty soon, he asks her if his friend Drew, Andrew Cataldi, and Trish, Trisha Nordman, can move in. He says that they are friends of his and they're just kind of down on his luck. According to Sarah, she didn't know they were fugitives, but she decided to let them stay a while and... It seems like they were, at first, everybody was getting along really well, the two couples. They actually ended up, like, I believe, renting a house together. Um, Sarah's only rule was, even though Drew and Richard were clearly selling methamphetamines and she knew this, she says her only rule was they were not allowed to sell out of the house. But they did. The activity continued and 
some point in time or multiple points in time, most likely, Sarah actually participated in the use of the methamphetamines that were being manufactured at this point in her house. Um, the tensions were growing because Andrew and Richard had began building a meth lab in the basement and they were having a lot of arguments. Um, I think a lot of it was like over how much they were doing versus how much they were selling, like what they were taking from their own stash, that kind of thing. Um, Sarah was getting frustrated. She was tired of these arguments. And I mean, I would be too. And she's living with three other adults. She's, again, the only one with a job. So she's getting irritated. And so this is where it depends on whose story you believe. Sarah may have told Richard that she wanted the house guests gone. On October 24th, 2000, Sarah and Richard went to Walmart. Richard, having a criminal history, was unable to purchase a gun that he wanted. So Sarah said she agreed to purchase it instead. The clerk at Walmart says he actually remembers, and he said he remembers that Hull is the one who went and chose the ammunition, and Sarah paid for it. So it definitely seemed like she was buying it for him. Later that evening, Sarah and Richard spent the evening with her family. They returned to their house around 11 p.m., and an argument started out between Richard and Drew. Richard and Andrew had been building this meth lab in the basement. Sarah got really irritated, and she says she went for a walk. According to Sarah, she returned back home to find two dead bodies, Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman. According to Sarah, the scene was grisly, and she was afraid that Hall would kill her. So, that's where we're at. For that reason, Sarah says, she assisted Richard with wrapping the bodies up in linens and disposing of them in a nearby dumpster. And later there would be a witness that said they watched Sarah help load what was the bodies in the back of Hall's truck. She also assisted him with cleaning up the murder scene. However, she refused to stay in the house and the two went and got a hotel. The next day, October 25th, Sarah went to work as usual. Her co-worker said that she was happy. She seemed upbeat. She actually seemed like she was in a better mood than she had been. She did not appear to be any, in any distress or afraid of anything. Um, and she did not tell anybody about the murders. The same day, the bodies were found. The bodies were killed with a shotgun and ammo designed to hunt deer. So you can probably explain this to people like me who don't know a lot about guns, like how bad this damage would have been. So buckshot. So there's three types of ammo that you use for in a shotgun. One is a birdshot, which is like the little teeny tiny pellets mm -hmm. that you'll. I mean, they feel kind of like sand almost. Um, and then you have slugs, which is just a big, huge chunk of lead. And then you also have buckshot. Buckshot is like little ball bearings. Like it can be like between like five or six of these ball bearings in each of the shells. Okay. So that makes a little more sense. So you can imagine how bloody this scene was. What right. What do you think? Pretty bad? It would be pretty bad. Yeah. So like I said earlier, the bodies were damaged to the point where they really couldn't identify them that way. So they used the tattoos and they soon identified those bodies 
as Andrew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman. Pretty soon they linked them to the house where Sarah Pender and Richard Hall lived. So they went to that house. When they got there, Sarah and Richard were nowhere to be found. So at this point, they're staying in a hotel somewhere. When police go, um, they search the home and they find large amounts of blood evidence. Although somebody had cleaned the house, mm-hmm. there was this was just so bloody like they couldn't, couldn't possibly clean all of it. So it was still very clear that this was a murder scene. So now they're looking for Richard Hall and Sarah Pender because they're either prime suspects or something's happened to them as well. On October 27th, 2000, officers picked up Richard Hall and Sarah Pender as they were entering Hall's mother's house. Sarah was very cooperative. She admitted to helping her boyfriend dispose of the bodies and clean the scene. She said that she was not part of the actual murder and she only participated in the cleanup out of fear that Hall would harm her. Richard Hall was arrested that day, but Sarah was allowed to leave. The next day, authorities confirmed that Sarah had purchased the murder weapon. So at first they think she's kind of a witness and probably their star witness. And then they find out that she actually purchased the murder weapon on the morning of the murders. So now they're like, no, she's got to be way more involved than this. So the next day on October 28th, they pay, they place Sarah Pender under arrest. So what are your initial thoughts so far? They're both guilty of murder. So you don't think that maybe Sarah was less culpable or you bought, she doing bought the, it out of fear? She bought the murder weapon. Well, according to her, she didn't know he was going to use it for that. That's what he says. I don't know. So while pending trial, Sarah's case grew more bizarre. Richard Hall gave prosecutors a letter that he alleged Sarah had written him while they were both in jail. In this letter, Sarah confesses to the murders, stating she just snapped. She blames the deaths on her tripping acid. So in this letter, she says it must have been all the acid. A handwriting expert for the state of Indiana concluded that the letter was, in fact, written by Sarah Pender. Sarah denied being the author of the letter and maintained her innocence. So according to Sarah, like, she didn't write this letter. and this, She's saying this handwriting expert is wrong. And the defense actually had a handwriting expert that said that the, he didn't think it was Sarah's writing because... When Sarah writes, she typically writes in cursive, and this letter was printed. Um, Her defense also pointed out that all the correspondence between Richard Hall and Sarah Pender had been taken from Hall's cell just shortly before he suddenly had this letter in his possession that he gave authorities. So they're saying, like, that shows you right there that it's fake because had she actually written it to him, it would have been confiscated with the rest of the letters. I don't agree with that at all, but that's just me. While waiting trial, Sarah also struck up a romance with like a pen pal kind of romance. So I don't know exactly how this works. I don't know if they were both like in county jail together and that's how they met or exactly what the situation was. But she met this guy and they started writing his name was floyd pennington 
He was a career criminal, and some of his charges included child molestation, burglary, theft, and illegal handgun charges. So he's a real winner. That's very sarcastic. The two conspired together. They both faked an illness so that they could both be sent to a hospital. So they must have been in nearby institutions. Um, so they both ended up meeting at the hospital at the same time. Awesome. Because they had these illnesses. Uh, Floyd Pennington would soon become a witness for the prosecution, claiming that while they were at the hospital, Sarah admitted that she wasn't the one who pulled the trigger, but she basically said that I coerced Richard into killing my former roommates. And it was over, like, arguments about the house and money, and Sarah didn't like them doing so many of the drugs because she wanted more money, is what they claimed, is what Floyd Pennington claims. Prosecutor Larry Sells told the media that Sarah Pender was a female Charles Manson. She was described as intelligent and manipulative. The prosecution theorized that Sarah was sick of her roommates, so she coerced Richard into committing the murders. They believe that's why she went for the walk, so she would have some plausible deniability. The confession letter and testimony of Floyd Pennington were two very key pieces of evidence for the prosecution. In 2002, Sarah Pender was convicted of both murders and sentenced to 110 years in prison for her crimes. She got 50 for one murder and 60 for the other to run consecutively. So 110 years. Richard Hall went on trial second, and after Sarah's guilty verdict, he decided to plead guilty and was sentenced to 75 years. Okay. So do you think that's fair? That's fair. Like her getting 110, him getting 75? Well, I don't know why they only gave one count for him and two counts for her, but I mean... Because he pled. Well, but still. While appealing her case, Sarah asked Richard to sign an affidavit, and he agreed. So this is like 2005-ish. He's now claiming at that point that he acted alone in the murders and that the letter that helped convict Sarah was a forgery. He said he had another inmate forge the letter after studying samples of uh, Sarah's writings from her actual letters. A handwriting expert for the defense team agreed. And again, they said, you know, Sarah's usually in cursive. This person's in print. Like, it's not close enough to, to be considered definitely her handwriting. Um, the inmate that Richard Hall implicated, interestingly enough, his fingerprints were found on this letter, as were Hall's, but Sarah's were not. So serious doubt about this letter after her conviction. Sarah and her defense team believed that they had sufficient evidence to reverse her conviction she, pi- she filed appeal after appeal. And honestly, from like where I'm sitting, I think she did have a decent shot at, at getting her case retried. Don't you? Yeah, I do. Meanwhile, Floyd Pennington was serving time for robbery. And upon his release, he was out for less than a month, raped a woman, 
and was sentenced to 30 more years in the Indiana Department of Corrections. Awesome. This is the other key piece of evidence is his testimony. And remember, this is a career criminal registered sex offender. You can right. see he's not a very good guy. Right. Um, I will tell you, though, even though he was sentenced to 30 years for rape, he actually was paroled this past September. So that's, oh, that's, that's lovely. Awesome. That's awesome. Right? Richard Hall also appealed his sentence, and he didn't appeal the conviction. He appealed the sentencing. He said it was too long. And actually, he won his appeal. So he got to be resentenced. However, the state now had a copy of this affidavit that he signed for Sarah's defense attorneys that said that he took full um, responsibility, Sarah wasn't involved, and that he actually forged the evidence against Sarah to make his sentence less. And he signed that sworn affidavit. So when he goes back, so he's appealing his sentence. He thinks it's too long, 75 years. So when he goes back, the judge takes that into consideration and actually extends his sentence by 15 years, sentencing him to 90 years in prison. Well, at least he got what he deserved. Right. But in the meantime, Sarah Pender is in the Indiana women's prison. She's considered a model prisoner. She doesn't get into trouble she worked um she helped other inmates with their appeal cases this is a very 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 intelligent woman who could had her life took a different path could have been like a doctor a chemist a lawyer like she's very very smart um she also was doing some other things as she was making friends in prison she started a contraband ring she recruited a friend who had been released from prison and one of the guards scott spitler to help her traffic in antihistamines where she would sell them to other prisoners and pocket the money so she's very smart she's very cunning and you can see she's kind of manipulative yeah she admitted to this in later interviews stating she was saving money for her appeals that's how she was going to pay for it when her appeals all failed, however, she changed her mind and decided this money was going to be for her to escape. She continued selling drugs from inside the prison while planning her escape. Sarah Pender had been having a sexual relationship with guard Scott Spitler at the Rockville Correctional Center in Indiana. Scott was smuggling in all kinds of things for her. He was smuggling in the, the antihistamine she was selling. He smuggled her in a phone and a charger so they could talk when he wasn't working and also so she could continue to plan her escape with other people she knew. He was doing all these things for her. And then on August 4th, 2008, Sarah Pender escaped the Rockville Correctional Center. Scott Spitler had given her street clothes to change into and told her what door to go out of, knowing which door would be alarmed and which would not. He sounds like a real winner. Right? Sarah then hid under the seat of a corrections van driven by Spitler, and he got up to the gate where the, normally the guards are supposed to, like, check the vehicle, and he got out of the car because he felt like if he got out of the van and went and talked to his coworker, like, the the co-worker would just let him go and take his word for it. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. And that's exactly what he ha happened. He drove off the prison property with Sarah in the back of the, the van. 
they get to a little parking lot that's actually for visitors um, and probably where Scott was going to be leaving that van to go into his vehicle and go home. And one of Sarah's former prison um, friends, a former bunkie, was there waiting for her in a car. And that was Jamie Long. From there, Jamie brought Sarah to a house that she owned to hide out. Meanwhile, at Rockville, they realized Sarah Pender was missing after they did a count. The media went crazy with stories of an escaped prisoner from a maximum security prison. Sarah Pender was the very first person to ever escape from Rockville, according to my sources. Sarah Pender's face was all over the media. She cut her hair. She dyed it. She worked hard to gather enough money to get away from Indiana as fast as she could. She met up with a series of ex-cons that she had met while serving time in prison. She's been there now like seven years. So she's met some people that have been uh, released. And so it's almost like, you, met, you know, like when you watch the movies about like how they take domestic abuse victims and they take them from safe house to safe house. Yeah. That's essentially what she was doing. She just wasn't a domestic abuse victim. She was a murderer escaping prison. Um. So each would help her move along to the next, and she at one point got pretty desperate for money, and a friend of hers who did some, like, stripping and probably escort-type things um, hooked her up with a sugar daddy to make some cash. If you don't know what a sugar daddy is, I should probably should not have to explain this in 2024, but it's usually an, an older man dating a much younger woman, like, think college-age woman, um, and essentially it's almost like quid quo pro. Right. Like you give him sex and he gives you money, but it's not a prostitution. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like prostitution, but somehow legal because they're like dating. Right. It's like an understanding. So anyway, um, the date went really good. And actually the man, the sugar daddy soon realized that, the girl he was spending this night with, and I think she was like in the hotel bathroom when he was watching the television, was this girl on TV. So he knew this girl as Ashley, and in fact, she was Sarah Pender. And she had become one of America's most wanted people and America's only woman to be on the FBI's top 15 wanted list at the time. So she was the most wanted woman in America. So he confronts Sarah and she tells him her true identity and he, you know, she gives him the whole story about how she was a victim of Richard Hall and wrongfully convicted and, you know, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle mm -hmm. about how sad this is and why she shouldn't be in prison. He believed her and he decided that he was going to help her. So he helped her move to Chicago, setting her up as Ashley with a place to live and he even got her a job with a friend or a colleague or somebody that he knew where she could work off the books in the office so he's really helping her get all her stuff together right. on december 22nd 2008 so now she's been gone since august from rockville it's now the end of december she's been gone since early august america's most wanted re-aired an episode about sarah pender she was, at this point, America's most wanted female, 
and a man on the north side of Chicago recognized Sarah as a tenant in the same building he lived in. So he called the number and turned in the person he knew as Ashley Thompson. That night, Sarah Jo Pender was apprehended by U.S. Marshals. She was sent back to an Indiana prison and placed in solitary confinement. She remained in solitary confinement for the next five years. She was returned to the general population at Rockville in 2014. So do you believe in solitary confinement for like extended periods of time, like five years? Not for five years, no. Like even for an escape? Even for an escape, no. I can't even imagine. I don't want to. Right. Scott Spittler was terminated, obviously, from the Indiana Department of Corrections. He was charged with aiding an escape, and he was sentenced to seven years in prison. He was then paroled in 2011. At the time that this all happened, he had a wife and young children at home. His wife divorced him as soon as this happened, and she started over with her children. Jamie Long, the friend that helped her escape that took her from the parking lot, uh, was charged and sentenced to seven years in prison, and she was released in 2013. Do you think those were fair sentences? Yes. I think so. While still in solitary confinement, Sarah was interviewed by Trevor McDonald for a documentary. She describes her escape, and when she's talking about it, like, she's smirking. Like, you guys have to, there's tons of media things with her in it. You have to, like, look one up, especially from not now, but a little further, you know, maybe 10 years back-ish. Like, she's smirking. Like, she is so smug. You can just see it. She admits that she had a sexual relationship with Scott Spittler, but she claims that he was only helping her for money. She says, I agreed to pay him $15,000. That's why he was helping me. I did not manipulate him because the general consensus was she manipulated Scott Spittler with sex to do this. Um, she continued to maintain her innocence. She claims that the prison told her mother that, quote, Sarah was too smart for their prison, end quote. And that's why she was held in solitary confinement for so long. In 2019, prosecutor Larry Sells was assisting an author in writing a book about Sarah Pender. When he reviewed the detective's records, he found a snitch list from key witness Floyd Pennington. The list contained 17 names that Pennington said he would help and provide testimony to convict in, in exchange for a lighter sentence. One of those names was Sarah Pender. So apparently the police had this evidence before her trial did not turn it over to the prosecutors or the defense larry sells had prosecuted sarah and he had never seen this letter therefore the defense hadn't seen it obviously he now felt like if he had seen this letter he would not have put floyd pennington on trial and that along with the affidavit that richard hall said like leading to speculation that she did not write that letter he now feels like Sarah's conviction should be overturned and that she is not the female Charles Manson. So as of right now, where are you at in your mind? I have no clue. <laughs> like it's been up and down for yes. this whole story. So 
Since Sarah has been back in prison, she has earned multiple college degrees. I think she has a master's and now going for like a doctorate. She continues to help others with their appeals. She's now out of solitary. She's in the gen pop again. She works in the prison library. She married another woman in prison in 2022. Her wife is currently free and is fighting terminal cancer. Sarah hopes to win her freedom and move with her wife to Washington State to continue her education and be near family. Sarah, oh, well, funny thing. Her wife that she married, do you know why she was in prison? No. Selling methamphetamines. You're seeing a pattern, aren't you? Yeah. Sarah Pender is continuing to fight for her freedom, now with the support of the very prosecutor that put her behind bars for 100 years. Or, well... Almost. Um, 110, actually. Larry Sells states that Sarah did not receive a fair trial and he would not have presented Floyd to Pennington as a witness had he known about the snitch list. He says he would not have entered the confession letter in because had he known that Richard Hall was going to sign an affidavit saying that he never wrote it. In 2023, students at Georgetown University university accepted sarah pender's case for a project called making an exoneree they hope to fight for sarah's freedom and her innocence so this is where i want to talk to you like do you believe sarah pender was falsely convicted with all the evidence and everything yes i don't think that okay i have to word this just right i believe she's guilty as hell Yes. Do I believe the evidence against her was strong enough? No. No. I don't. Many key pieces of evidence were determined to be unreliable, but Sarah does admit to purchasing this weapon the day of the murder. She disposed of the bodies. She helped clean the scene. What are the odds that she would happen to go for a walk very late one night and her boyfriend just happens to commit a double murder in the time that she's gone? Like, doesn't that seem a little far-fetched? It does. Just a little. She's proven herself to be manipulative. I mean, she coerced Scott Spitler and so many other people into helping her escape from prison. Right. So, like, I am not convinced at all of her innocence, but I also can't sit here and honestly say that I think she had a fair trial. Right. Do I think she has a decent chance of getting like her charges or what you know something overturned and like maybe getting time served for what they can prove she did right i think she has a decent possibility but i do think she's a female charles manson and i don't know like you guys just have to watch some of the youtube videos or interviews that she's done with some of the shows she's been on snapped and a couple others like and watch the documentary with uh, Sir Trevor McDonald. It's in uh, on YouTube. You can look it up. It's Indiana's Most Dangerous Women pr- uh, Women's Prison with Sir Trevor McDonald. And he interviews her. And you will see kind of her demeanor and her body language. Like, I definitely think that she is a psych. Like, she's a narcissist. I promise yeah. you. And I do think she's manipulative. And I think she's a sociopath. I think it was probably her idea to build a meth lab. I think she's probably found it as an easy way to make money. And remember, she was a biochemistry major. <laughs> Telling me she was breaking bad. Kinda. 
Jeez. Like, I don't believe that she is innocent. I believe Richard Hall pulled the trigger, but I believe that she pulled the strings, just yeah. like the prosecutor had originally. But the evidence against her sucked, and it's not really fair for anybody to be in prison based off that evidence. Right. But, yeah, I don't know. And then, like, the fact that she escaped and went on the lam and, like, escaped a maximum security prison and was free for four months. Like, you don't hear that very often. No, not at Typically, all. Typically, prison escape, it's over within 72 hours. So, like, the fact that she was able to keep it going that long, like, she is smart and she is manipulative and she is a narcissist. I truly believe that she is guilty, but I truly also believe that she did not have a fair trial at the same time right no and i agree with you on that i think she was probably smart enough to leave the house for that period of time um she was smart enough to make sure that anything that she was a part of she could later claim that she was scared of her boyfriend i mean i just i don't know that's my thought i think she's guilty but i think her conviction is sucky like yep, just I, because I, the evidence. Yep, I would. I, I I think I would agree with you on that. And like, I don't know. Like when she's interviewed, she gives all these like boo hoo. I was just a naive girl in the wrong place with the wrong people. But like, I just can't buy that because if right. you're this sweet little innocent girl, you planned and executed a successful escape. Right. Like, quit trying to play the little innocent you are not innocent you are manipulative as fuck yeah i think it's the first time we said that word today i know it's weird <laughs> so guys i want to know what you think do you think sarah pender is guilty or innocent and do you think she got a fair trial or not and they are two separate things very separate things because i believe wholeheartedly she's guilty as fuck but i also think her conviction should be overturned yep so that's that. Hope yep. she doesn't get free, but yep. unfortunately, you, I think she's got a good op, a good chance. Yeah. If you guys want to see all the information that Gina uses for each one of her stories, go ahead and head over to themidwestcrimefiles.com, and you can click on the most recent story and scroll all the way down to the bottom, and it's all the references that Gina uses for each one of these stories. Like we said at the beginning, if you want to become a Patreon member, head over to patreon.com slash midwestcrimefiles. And you can join for as little as a dollar a day. Or dollar a day. <laughs> dollar a month, dollar guys. A month. Dollar a month. Dollar a month. There's different levels. So different things that you want to do. Um, and I yep. promise y'all there is a lot coming for the Patreons. Um, we apologize for our personal lives taking over. But, I mean, we have to be adults first. Yep. We have to be grown-ups and professionals and parents and Oh, you know the drill. But I hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.